the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast. How you doing? My name is Nick DeGilio, and I am your host for the Nick D Podcast right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. We are a podcast network that consists of tons of amazing and informative and entertaining uh, and funny podcasts for you to subscribe to and download and listen to and give us feedback on. You can check us out at RadioMisfits.com. You can also check out Radio Misfits now as a 24-7 streaming service. That's right. It's like old school. It's like a radio station, man. Turn it on anytime. 24-7, it's going. we got great podcast entertainment. We've got great music from unsigned bands. The Unheard Music Show, a fantastic podcast here at Radio Misfits, is now part of a streaming service where you can hear great, great music uh, that you won't be able to hear anyplace else. And in addition to that, amazing episodes of the podcasts at Radio Misfits. 24-7, turn it on, live streaming right now as we speak. And while we're not speaking, and while we're sleeping, and while we're awake, radiomisfits.live. Check it out right now, radiomisfits.live. I'm Nick DeGilio. I host two podcasts on Radio Misfits. The first one is this one. That's the Nick D Podcast, an entertainment lifestyle pop culture podcast where we talk about all kinds of great entertainment things. I talk to my co-host, Esmeralda Leon. I have great guests and celebrities, and we review movies and television and songs and books and all kinds of really cool stuff. And uh, you can check it out daily at radiomisfits.live at 3 p.m. Central. My other podcast, which is all about Saturday Night Live, because I am the world's greatest living expert on Saturday Night Live, period, end of story, end of discussion. And that podcast is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. You can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central on RadioMisfits.Live. So again, my two podcasts, the Nick D Podcast, 3 p.m. daily. That show hasn't been funny in years. My SNL podcast, 9 a.m. daily at RadioMisfits.Live, the 24-hour streaming service that is going and giving you great podcast entertainment and great music. It's fantastic. We're very excited about it. Get to that streaming service right now and check us out at RadioMisfits.Live. And you can go to the website and go to all the platforms to download all of my podcasts and all the podcasts you hear at Radio Misfits. Hey, now's the time to be a sponsor. Jump on board. Get in here and say, I want to, I want a podcast. I want to be a podcast uh, sponsor for the Nick D Podcast. Lots of people. We reach a lot of people. So be a uh, sponsor right now. Advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Say, hey, I want to advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. To be a, a regular uh, contributor to the podcast, we have a voicemail number at 773-417-6948. Open 24-7. We encourage you to leave any kind of feedback, any kind of messages. It's open. It's going. We want to hear from you, whether it be a comment or a question, uh, a suggestion, or a request for the magic megaphone. You know how that works. You request something, I say in, say into it or record it, and it's a personal joke or, uh, or some sort of statement or a question or a story you want to tell. You can tell it through the magic megaphone, and I'll do it. 
Uh, you can do that via email as well, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. So send your emails and send your voicemail messages 24-7 to us. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound and the goofiness. Ed is my main man who does everything else at Radio Misfits. Uh, and it is episode 148 today, and it is, uh, we're busting into a weekend. It's a Friday. Uh, my uh, co-host Esmeralda Leon will join me, as she always does. We've got a magic megaphone request that I just mentioned. You can request one if you want. We were going to fulfill one of those, and we're going to talk about uh, stuff that no one remembers, things that no one remembers that had big stars in them. You remember those, those things that like a lot of big stars want to forget that they starred in, like movies or TV shows or commercials? Uh, things that big stars did that you don't remember that they were in. Well, we're going to dig up those embarrassing little artifacts from big celebrities' pasts. We'll talk about that and, uh, and much more. And Eric Childress and C. Procopi, my film critic cohorts here on the uh, podcast, join me. Uh, we've got new uh, movies to review for the weekend and for uh, the beginning of the big summer push. Yeah, man, we are at the beginning of June. Um, you know, the, the big summer movie season began around Memorial Day. And as it normally does, and lots of big summer releases between now and September. And I got to tell you, I don't really give a shit about any of them. Uh, I'm really the one I think I'm, because like, I don't care about the new Indiana Jones movies. The movie, I don't give a shit about that. I don't care about Oppenheimer at all. I mean, it's in 70 millimeter. Congratulations. Don't, don't care. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Barbie movie a lot. And I'm looking forward to the Jennifer Lawrence movie where um, she has sex with an 18-year-old and, uh, and does, like, really, uh, really raunchy stuff. I'm looking forward to that. That's no hard feelings. Even the, even the title is, a, is like a, <laughs> you know, is like a pun, uh, like an adult, uh, you know, raunchy pun. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. But all the other stuff, I don't care. I mean, there's so many of them I'm not, I can't even think of right now. Like, there's a lot of comic book movies, which, of course, I don't care about. But I don't care about Oppenheimer. Man, I can't, I, I cannot, it's not possible for me to be less excited about that goddamn movie. Three hours. Um, and I'm sure that Christopher Nolan will tell the story, you know, it'll take place in 1930 at one point and then jump over to 1990, which, you know, he wasn't even alive then, but it'll pop back into 1940 and then it'll pop back into the 50s at some point. And I don't know. Leonardo DiCaprio will show up running around. I have no idea. I just don't care about the goddamn movie and everybody is going crazy about it. But anyway, so that's on the Indiana Jones. Who the fuck cares about the new Indiana Jones movie? I don't. So, yeah, I can't even fake excitement for the summer movie season. I just can't do it anymore. Barbie is the one movie that I care about the most that's coming out this summer. I've been doing this too long, I think. Yeah, I just can't get excited about that kind of shit anymore. So, anyway. But we will talk about some of the newer movies that are coming out, uh, that have come out, or are coming out today, uh, with uh, Steve and uh, Eric, who I think, they're younger than I am, so they're probably still a little bit more excited about movies. Whereas, like, now I'm just like, oh, God, another fucking Indiana Jones movie? What are we doing here? So, anyway. All right. I'll be grumpy and they won't. That's how it works. So there you go. All right. So that's all coming up here uh, on the podcast. And uh, please uh, uh, stay tuned. Subscribe. Give your feedback. And, uh, you know, this lovely lady is there. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. And I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. I love your movies, except for Cocaine Bear. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Yeah, and right. I love Nick's show. Yeah. If she were in a movie this summer, I would be excited about that. But I'm not. 
All right. Anyway, movie reviews with Eric and Steve. I'm, I promise I'll be in a better mood. Really? I'm looking at the list of movies. Maybe not. Okay. All right. Uh, the movies that we're, we're about to review. Well, anyway, let's do some movie reviews. We'll talk to Esmeralda in a little bit. And you should check out uh, our uh, live streaming service right now at RadioMisfits.Live. All right. Eric, Steve, movie reviews. Congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. theme means we're talking about movies and it's time for the movie reviews eric childress and steve procopi join me uh every other week on a friday to review the new movies that'll be coming out talking about some of the stuff that's happening in the world of cinema and so on and so forth and uh, let me say hello to these guys uh eric childress how are you i'm good and steve procopi hello steve hello there all right uh eric tell everybody where they can read your stuff and hear your stuff and see your stuff and all that stuff well, I write a box office column every Sunday afternoon at Rotten Tomatoes, so you can check that out there. And then I have a pair of podcasts on the Now Play Network, uh, the Movie Mod- Movie Madness podcast, uh, where we talk about, uh, we review the new movies with uh, Steve, and uh, Peter Zabzinski handles Blu-rays for us. Uh, and then The Friendship Dilemma that I co-host with Morgan Geyer, where we talk about the way that movies handle male and female friendships in the movies. Right. And um, in fact, one of the movies that we're talking about today would yeah. fit in. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely, definitely fit in to uh, uh, the Friendship Dilemma podcast. No question about it. OK, so that's where you can see and hear all the stuff that Eric does. Steve, what about you? Uh, my written reviews are at thirdcoastreview.com. And as Eric said, I do the Movie Madness podcast every week with him. And then I'm also... PR manager at the Music Box Theater, so I'm there a lot. Including, in fact, we, I will be there shortly. Yeah, <laughs> I will be there. Today. I will be there later on tonight as well uh, yeah. for the insanity that will be happening. Uh, that is known as Emerjo. Um, and if uh, <laughs> uh, the actual uh, uh, episode before this one, no, two episodes ago, uh, yeah, yeah, um, Matt, uh, Matt Carr from uh, the Music Box joined me. He's a manager there, and he's one of the guys responsible for all the crazy stuff that they're doing. Uh, or that they did while this is while this is being yeah. posted when they showed uh, House on Haunted Hill, the William Castle movie. And speaking of the music box, um, Wes Anderson's got a movie coming out. Uh, when does it? When does it even? When does the goddamn thing open? The twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah. Okay. So it opens the twenty third. Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid City. Um, and and uh, in preparation for that, and it'll be opening at the music box. Asteroid City will be playing at the music box. Um, and in preparation for that, you guys are doing kind of a four, you call it four by Wes. Right. So basically you're uh, showing four movies directed by Wes Anderson. All in 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually it's actually a tribute to the films of Wes Bentley, the great actor Wes ah, Bentley. Uh, yes, no, no, yes. no, no. It's, <laughs> it's four, by, four by Wes Anderson. Uh, we, uh, we took sort of an insert, informal poll of our, of our uh, I think it was on Twitter, uh, and just said, what would you, which ones would you like to see? And this, these are basically the results of the ones that were available to us in 35. So we're playing Rushmore, 
uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and the Grand Budapest Hotel. And you can buy a pass to see all four of those for 32 bucks. Or if you're a member, it's only 26 bucks for four great movies. And they're actually the, it's only running from the 16th to the 20th. So it's only, what is that? Five days. Um, and then the uh, night before Asteroid City officially opens, we're doing a, like a Thursday night, your typical Thursday night preview screening uh, of Asteroid City. So that's, that's what we're doing that night. But I, I, uh, I'm planning on seeing all... I will say, if you're planning on seeing uh, Royal Tenenbaums, we're only playing it twice. I believe it's the first day and the last day of this thing. The first day show on Friday the 16th at 7 o'clock is, is in danger of selling out. Uh, yeah. So I would say get your tickets as soon as you can. So Well, that makes sense because that's his best movie. So, yeah. Uh, um, and actually, all four of them, I like all four of those movies. Um, yeah. I think those are four of the better ones that he's done. And um, yeah. um, Grand Budapest Hotel is ridiculous, but I like it. I, uh, uh, it's <laughs> mostly because of Ray Fiennes. I think Ray Fiennes is hilarious in that movie. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but Moonrise Kingdom is one of I think uh, one of his loveliest movies. And I think it, probably, it, probably the well, it's a, maybe it's a toss up, but I think that's one of the ones that screens the least, just because it's yeah. it doesn't. I mean, it's a little more other than the animated things he's done, it's a little more, it's probably his most younger skewing films. Yeah. But well, I mean, it's the, still, the two, still phenomenal. The, the two leads are kids. I mean, the two leads are yeah. kids, you know? Um, yeah. No, but I really like that. But yeah. Uh, so you got th- those four Wes Anderson uh, films in 35 leading up to um, the asteroid city, which opens on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. The next time we talk, we can talk about uh, the 70 millimeter uh, stuff that's coming because that'll, yeah. that's, that's in July. And you guys are showing four films leading up to the premiere of uh, Oppenheimer. Right. Uh, and so you're bringing in the screen um, mm-hmm. and you're uh, showing four more newer movies. Um, and you're actually uh, shockingly not showing 2001. <laughs> well, we technically we, we kind of are because during the last I want to say it's the last, maybe it's the fourth week of Oppenheimer, which will still be in 70 at that point. We are doing two mem- or two, three, I think it's two or three members only screenings of 2001. So we are going to find a way ah, to okay. squeeze that in, but it's, you have to be a member to see it and it will be for free for members. So ah, even okay. better. So yes, right. it's always fun <laughs> your, to your see membership and. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's no. It's always fun to. It's always fun to see two thousand one and seventy at the oh, music yeah. box. You guys show it all the time. I mean, isn't there yeah. a print? In, don't you guys have a print? We own it. We paid money for a yeah. print a few years ago, and it has. Yeah, it is more than paid for itself. Absolutely. So, no already. All right. Very very cool. Uh, and it's interesting because you guys are showing uh, four films for the festival. Mm-hmm. And I actually technically you're showing three because Babylon and Boogie Nights are the same fucking movie. But uh, that's beside that's beside the point. Uh, and then no, nope. never gets old. Never gets never old. gets <laughs> never gets old because it never gets old because it's true because it's true. Uh, um, and uh, nope. And uh, Inception, right? All right. So it's and Babylon. All, th- all three, all four of those prints have been created in the last three years. They were all mm. like uh, Inception is the oldest oldest one because we had yeah. that. Leading up to, that's the only one of these four that we've played before, and we and we barely played it because it was right before leading up to Tenet coming out of the pandemic, the right. first time coming out of the pandemic, and we could only seat fifty people at a time at the music box when it played, so very few people saw it. Yeah, 
Got it. Cool. And we'll get into more details about the 70 millimeter fest yeah, and yeah. about uh, all that stuff in July. But uh, you should check out all the Wes Anderson stuff, four by Wes, leading up to the opening of um, uh, uh, Asteroid City at the Music Box. Um, all four of those Wes Anderson movies are in 35, and you can get your tickets and check out all the details uh, at uh, musicboxtheater.com. Musicboxtheater.com. Okay, mm-hmm. we got new movies to talk about, um, and uh, let's get started on that. Eric, why don't you tell us about uh, the new film, Past Lives? Well, speaking of sold-out screenings at the Music Box, uh, we played this at our Chicago Critics Film Festival this year, and it's the story of uh, Nora and Hae Sung, who, uh, as children, uh, were the best of friends, childhood uh, classmates, uh, and when her parents uh, uh, end up uh, emigrating from South Korea, uh, they are separated for a a good amount of time. Uh, We flash forward uh, 12 years later, uh, we meet them again. Uh, Nora's played by Greta Lee, and Hae Sung's played by uh, Tae Yu, and uh, they... Uh, Nora discovers that uh, from, I believe, someone in her family that Hai Sung has been sort of searching for her online, checking out the social media websites. Uh, and when she discovers that, she's actually kind of excited and goes and finds him. And the two of them begin communicating again uh, and strike up a, a, a re, to sort of reinvigorate uh, their friendship. Uh, after a period of that goes on, uh, Nora decides to take a break from this friendship again uh, to go work on her career uh, as, a, as a writer. Uh, so the two of them stop talking again. And uh, in the interim of uh, the next time they're going to meet, uh, Nora meets uh, another writer at a retreat named Arthur, played by John Magaro. And the two of them form a relationship and end up getting married. Uh, so we flash forward uh, another 12 years, and uh, Arthur, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Hei Sung is coming to New York uh, for a week and uh, gets in contact with Nora and wants to see her. So uh, the, the movie then uh, basically takes place uh, in, in this period where they, again, are reinvigorating their friendship. But clearly, uh, certainly in the, in the uh, mind of Hei Sung, uh, there is still something lingering that he has been in love with her for some time. Uh, whatever feelings Nora may have had for him in the past have kind of really been pushed inside, given the fact that she is married now in this other relationship. Uh, and so we watch this sort of this beautiful yet uncomfortable dance between the two of them uh, as they, they you know, talk about uh, fate and these all these things without really communicating exactly how they feel about one another. Uh, and this is the right and directing debut of Celine song. And it's already going down, uh, being considered as one of the, the great debuts, uh, in, in cinema. And, uh, the, the, it's hard to, to argue against that because this movie is so precise in capturing this dynamic between these two characters. I mean, the whole concept of the, you know, the one that got away uh, is just fantastically explored just through looks and songs, visual stylings in the way that she shoots the two of them uh, when they're hanging out on boats and then through walking through the park. Uh, and you just, you see how much these two people really care for each other. And it's just, it eats away at all of us watching that these two people just because of 
time and circumstance uh, and just not being in the right place at the right time or just not, seemingly are not going to find each other. Uh, classic romances have always have, have played with this idea and they tend to find a way to get these characters together. This movie plays it up a lot more realistically. And uh, I think that anyone watching this film, uh, particularly men, uh, are going to be torn between whether they feel they've been more Sung in their life or if they've been more Arthur. I can certainly attest to being both uh, through m multiple portions of my life. And uh, I felt for both of these characters uh, watching uh, how they feel about Nora and how she has to navigate uh, between the two of them. Uh, I think it, it, it absolutely sticks the landing at the end. Um, I, I walked away quite a mess after seeing this movie. It's my first time seeing it at our festival, actually, after it was roundly praised at Sundance by our programming staff. Uh, and uh, it absolutely is one of the best movies of the year. All right. Steve? Yeah, Eric, you left out one. Of, you might also identify very strongly with Nora. So there, let's not leave that, that part out because uh, um, no, there, there. I mean, Celine's song basically this happened to her, and and that's the most that's the remarkable thing is the film opens with this incredible scene that is seen from like an outside perspective of the three main characters at a bar talking. We can't hear what they're saying. But the two Korean characters are the ones talking and laughing, and they look like a couple. And this Arthur guy is kind of sitting off to the side, looking slightly uncomfortable. And it's just like, what is going on here? And that's what Celine Song basically had that interaction in her life and wondered what that would look like from an outside perspective. And it and we don't really know what's going on until the end of the movie, where we circle back around to that scene. It's really remarkable. It's also kind of remarkable that Celine Song is primarily a playwright uh, leading up to this, at least. And she even had a play that had just uh, kicked off, just premiered in New York off-Broadway when the pandemic hit, and she had to shut it down pretty soon. And it was nothing like this. She's never directed a film. She's never directed a short. She's never directed a commercial. Um, she, she's, uh, I mean, a music video, any of the things that filmmakers usually do before they get their first feature, she'd never done that. She just made this film kind of because she, she felt her way through it. And, and my, and I, when I interviewed her, I said, you know, that's not the way it usually works. Right. Because, um, but it works, it works. It's, this is self, such a self-assured debut and it's remarkable. And, um, and there are no, we don't, I don't want to imply that like, we just certainly don't want to imply that the, the husband character, Arthur, is like a bad guy and she might even be considering leaving him. That's not really what's going on here. There's no villains in this movie other than what you said, Eric, time and circumstance and fate. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just about these personal connections and how sometimes we just keep missing somebody and uh, missing is in like missing the mark and um, and it explores things like like identity, and sometimes there's this whole Korean notion of in yoon, which is a, a which is sort of about the notion of fate stemming from two people's connection in a past life, and that's brought into this. And it's it's that rarest of works that kind of transports us, and I think at least for me, really embedded itself in my soul to a certain degree. And um, yeah, and it's it's like. Is the life we've longed for the one we want, or is it the one we actually are living that we what we? Right, that's that's those are the questions, and this is a this is a movie that will probably spark a lot of conversations. I'm guessing, and depending on what you bring 
into the movie to a certain degree, like Eric said as well. So yes, this is this is a this is definitely one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah, it's ter- it's a terrific movie, um, and uh, and a great debut, a really uh, fine uh, film debut uh, as a director. Um, and I, you know, I mean, obviously, this is a movie that I think a lot of people will be able to identify with. It's a universal thing. Uh, everybody has had these kind of relationships, not to this, you know, as specific. Uh, in detail as what happens in this movie. Um, not everybody obviously grew up with someone in their childhood and had that childhood relationship pulled apart and then, you know, be reunited with them in different ways. And that section of the movie, the middle section of the movie, which um, uh, a lot of people are kind of, um, you know, in their summations of it are ignoring. I think the middle section of the movie is one of my favorite parts is like a, a really incredibly strong part of the movie. And that's when they're basically, they rediscover themselves through uh, the internet in the early days of the internet. Cause this is, mm-hmm. it's, it starts out like when this is happening, when they reconnect and they're like, this is pre zoom. Uh, <laughs> but when they reconnect, uh, you know, um, uh, and start talking to each other in different parts of the world, like he's in Korea and she is in New York studying, um, they reignite this relationship and this friendship that they had, but it's impossible to continue that. Um, and that, that's a, that's an important part of the movie. Like that middle part, a lot of people are always talking mm-hmm. about, Oh, it's got this beginning part. And then this incredible part at the end where they spend a week, you know, after she's married, they spend a week together and all that stuff is great. But that middle part, I think is my favorite part of the movie. Um, because it's about this attempt to reconnect and how impossible that is. And, you know, and how it makes sense for the, the character of Nora to say, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? I can't, because clearly there's a connection between the two of them. And it's more than just two people talking to each other on a screen on a laptop. There's more to it. And if they were together, they'd be. If they were in the same pl- and they were in the same city or in the same mm-hmm. area, they would be together. Uh, you know, there's no there's no question about it. Um, but I love that section where where that decision has to be made by her. It's like I can't do this anymore. And it's a smart decision. It's and it's you know it's 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 very unhealthy and weird for that kind of relationship to continue. Uh, in that regard, especially, and it's pointed out in the movie, especially in the infancy of the internet, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in that kind of connection. Now you can do that kind of thing much easier and much more commonly. Uh, but back then it was unusual to try and do that, like in the early uh, 2000s and so on and so forth. And then that last part where they reunite again and he comes to town and they meet and she's married and all that stuff. It's, there's, there's stuff in there that people know about. And everybody's got at least one or two people that got away or the timing wasn't right. I have one. And every time I see a movie like this, I text her after. I texted her after this movie, after I saw it that night. Um, I texted my, the one that got away, and, and she's like, okay, I'll see the movie. And the last time I texted her about a movie uh, that I saw that I needed to text her about is, was when I saw Worst Person in the World. Um, and I, I texted her after I saw that. And she was like, yeah. And then she ultimately, because we both know, and this is a thing that these characters know. Like, she's married, and he's going to move on and do something else. But they both know, they each know, it's not something that they can deny, that they are, that at one point they were together and had circumstances and time been different, they'd be together now. And that's the way that I feel about this woman that I text. Like, and she feels the same way about me. We're both, it just didn't work out. The timing wasn't right. Things happened in our lives and it never worked out. And anybody who's ever had that kind of, you know, relationship can identify with everything that happens in this movie. And everybody has had that kind of relationship. (laughs) So it's a universal movie. It's a movie that I think everybody can identify with, no matter who you are in that situation. One of these three characters that are affected by it, or even the friends, like the people that go out drinking with this guy. Uh, I've been that guy drinking with the other guy. You know what I mean? Like all those, you know, uh, and, and all that stuff, the relationships that Nora has outside of that kind of stuff. I've been in those situations as well. Um, so it's a movie that's universally identifiable. I did not go as ape shit over it as everybody else did. I have a couple of, 
problems with it here and there. There are, I have a couple of big issues with some flashbacks that I don't like and some callbacks that I don't think are necessary. Um, uh, but, uh, it is still one of the better movies I've seen all year and one of the better movies you guys showed at the fest. And I think people are going to be blown away by it. And I think come award season, you know, I mean, obviously a 24 is behind it, so they're going to pump the shit out of it and get everybody, <laughs> uh, you know, to see it. But I think we'll be talking about this more at the end of the year. No question about it. So, uh, but mm-hmm. past lives and, uh, opens today, uh, everywhere. Um, all right. So, uh, uh three raves for that movie. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on. Steve, the big, uh, big budget, mm-hmm. crazy summer blockbuster thing that comes out uh, today is Transformers Rise of the Beast. And which one is this now? How many are there now? Uh, uh, seven? Seven? I think it's seven. Are we counting Bumblebee? Yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. So seven counting Bumblebee. This is the seventh Transformers movie. All right. Uh, <laughs> and, and Eric, you have not seen it. I have not. Okay. All right, Steve. I'm about three behind in the Transformers world. Well... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get there. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I don't know if it's necessary, but well, we'll, 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 you'll find out. All right, Steve, tell us, tell tell us about Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's a gifted director or a shorter runtime or an unstoppable period soundtrack is all you need to pivot a franchise in the right direction. For example, in the Transformers universe, the previous film, as we mentioned, 2018's, I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, Bumblebee, which is set in 1987, is the best of the bunch, in, in large part because of a winning cast that included Haley Steinfeld and John Cena and a tighter, more focused screenplay. Lo and behold, its follow-up, Transformers Rise of the Beast, has a similar running time of about two hours. Most of the other Transformers films are pushing two and a half hours. Um, and it concentrates kind of on this single mission while introducing a handful of new, like, giant robot characters and a couple of I, what I think are pretty excellent humans as well. Uh, the new film also has a, a great new director, Steve Stephen Cappell Jr., who did Creed Two, um, and a collection of period, mostly hip hop tracks that will uh, have you, you know, singing along while you engage with scene after scene of what I think are pretty quality action sequences. So this one's set in 1994, so it's only a few years after Bumblebee. Introduces us to these sort of robot animal creatures known as Maximals. Uh, whose mission in life is to protect a sacred key that can open portals to basically every corner of the universe, making it possible for a planet-eating-slash-planet-sized villain named Unicron, who was voiced by Coleman Domingo, uh, to destroy as many worlds as he can reach. Um, his primary harbinger of doom is a deadly robot named Scourge, who's uh, voiced by Peter Dinklage. Um who has devoted his existence to tracking down the Maximals, retrieving the key for his master. Um, Meanwhile, on Earth, there's a young guy named Noah Diaz, played by Anthony Ramos uh, from In the Heights, who is good with machines. He's he's trying to keep his Brooklyn household together with the help of his hardworking mother, uh, played by Luna Lauren Velez, who also played Miles Morales' mother in the Spider-Man movie, in the Spider-Verse movies, I should say. He's also got a little brother named Chris, who's played by Dean Scott Vasquez, who is uh, sickly and in desperate need of sort of prolonged medical treatment. Um, while finally agreeing to a friend's request to steal an expensive car because he needs the money, Noah accidentally ends up stealing a Transformer named Mirage, a sort of smart-mouthed, I think it's a Porsche, right? Um, it's a Porsche, vo- yeah, Porsche. Voice, Voiced by Pete Davidson, um, who is called to action by, you know, Transformer OG Autobot Optimus Prime, still voiced by Peter Cullen, Um uh, 
reluctantly, the Autobots ask Noah to help them steal a key, the key from a local museum, just as a would-be ar archaeologist named Elena, played by Dominic Fishback, um, is examining a, a found artifact that has the, has the key hiding inside of it. Uh, Scourge and his soldiers, um, I believe they're collectively known as terror cons. I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot of information out here. Anyway, they, they find these people. They manage to get the key themselves, although it turns out it's only half the key. The other half is hidden somewhere in South America with the Maximals who have safely hidden it away or so they think. Anyway, these Maximals are like there's a giant robot ape named Optimus Primal voiced by Ron Perlman. There's like this giant bird voiced by Michelle Yeoh. There's like another uh, there's other animals with names like Rhinox and Cheetor. Um, anyway, it's ridiculous. But anyway, eventually the Autobots and the Maximals join forces to defeat Scourge uh, and protect the second part of the, the second piece of the key and stop Omicron from devouring the Earth. What, what little I know about the extended Transformers universe is that fans have been waiting for these Maximal characters to show up in these movies for a very long time, and Rise of the Beasts is likely to make them very happy. Okay, so what about the rest of us? I, I thought the action sequences were pretty well staged. They're very easy to follow. Um, they seem to have actual consequences and stakes. Uh, for most of the movie, the good guys are getting their asses handed to them, and it's only by being smarter and sneakier and using the skills of this human thief that the Autobots even have a chance of saving the planet. Um, some of the humor still falls flat. Uh, some of the effect shots look like very cartoonish, um, which might actually tie it back to the animated series where these characters came from. Um, and the motivation for Noah to finally save the day at the end of the film is, is beyond corny um, and didn't really move me in the slightest, um, but it probably will some people. Uh, the film also remembers um, what younger people can be like and how sometimes their emotions get the best of them, even when like global decimation is on the line. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to give these movies a chance because it's pretty clear that a weirdly high percentage of people actually like these movies, or at least the toys in the animated series they're based upon. But I, I think Rise of the Beast is actually pretty enjoyable. Bumblebee is still way better. That's a, that's a high benchmark in my estimation, but, um, and okay, so I don't normally talk about post-credit scenes in my reviews, but there is one here that I thought was going to tie it to Bumblebee, and instead it does something that I really wasn't expecting, and it gives us hope that there'll be a follow-up sequel to this film, and possibly combining this franchise with another one that, uh, I, like I said, I wasn't expecting, but it's a certainly a, a, a nice stinger. Anyway, I think this is a pretty worthy entry in this in this uh, sad little Transformers series. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think, I think what we discovered here is the key, the reason why the Transformers movies have sucked uh, is Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, uh, that's it. Like, get, get Michael Bay out of the equation. You have some pretty decent stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, this is, this, is a, this is an entirely dumb, but entirely uh, entertaining, big, dumb blockbuster um, with... Some interesting lead characters that I like, uh, that I find enjoyable. I thought a lot of the byplay was funny. Um, some of it falls flat. Some of it is big and loud and dumb. But if you want to go and see, you know, put your brain on hold for a couple of hours and watch a lot of loud stuff blow up, uh, this fits that bill perfectly and very entertainingly. And it's well made. Um, 
So obviously, the problem with the Transformers movies is clearly <laughs> Michael Bay. That's the problem. That's why they all sucked until Bumblebee. And Bumblebee, again, is better, as you said, Steve. Bumblebee is still the best of all of them, like by mm-hmm. far. Uh, Bumblebee's, Bumblebee is legitimately a really good film. Um, yeah. And this one's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but it's well-directed. Um, and I will say this, the effects are terrific, especially you know because the night before... Just coincidentally, (laughs) the night before, in the same theater, we saw The Flash. And Mm -hmm. there are chunks of The Flash with the worst. And, you know, Eric, you were there, too. With some of the worst, some of the worst, awful, laughable CGI and special effects I've seen in a major movie in years. Like, I mean, (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? How did they get away with this? Um, And then the next night, I see this Transformers and the difference in the special effects, both the quality and the execution is night and day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Like I, it, it, and, and obviously that flash movie was fresh in my brain from the night before. And I'm like, Holy crap. I mean, I just saw a big, crazy, loud blockbuster spectacle last night. And the, the shit was awful. And here I am 24 hours later seeing the same kind of thing, but with really well editing, you know, edited and, and choreographed fight scenes and special effects that are actually really great. And that's, you know, I mean, it made a huge difference. Um, so I also like the fact that this film um, is told from the point of view of, uh, like, the leads in the movie are minorities and uh, minorities, mm-hmm. in the, minorities in the mid-90s in New York. And I like that it was very specific. I also am disturbed by the fact that now movies where, uh, you know, movies where I was on the verge of turning 30 are now period pieces. I find that very <laughs> disturbing. Um, but like you, like you, Steve, I love the needle drops, as the kids call them now. Oh the music God, cues are yeah. great. Um, and I thought the characters, you know, like a lot, of the, the, a lot of the Transformers themselves, the robots themselves, I found amusing. I thought Pete Davidson was hilarious as the voice of the Porsche. Um, he's got a couple of lines that are like, what? Uh, one in particular, Steve, that I'm not going to repeat yes. here, um, where it's like, what? Um, but like, you know, like then some of the other some of the more famous Transformers come back. Bumblebee is in this. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, Bumblebee, I don't I don't know the Transformers from shit. I never watched the cartoon. I didn't play with them. I've only seen the, the Michael Bay movies. But for me, and maybe I'm crazy. Bumblebee is my favorite Transformer. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> by far. And he's in this kicking ass in this movie and doing and doing some great stuff. And I thought the voice work like Michelle Yeoh is, is does a wonderful job with the voices mm-hmm. and Ron Perlman and all the people who are doing the voices. And um Anthony Ramos, I think, is a great lead. I love the story about him trying to you know, they they're 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 living um in the Bronx in New York in the mid nineties and he does not it? But, isn't it uh, Brooklyn? She, She's Brooklyn. He's the Bronx. She's Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, and, and so they, you know, and, and so he has to resort to stealing to make money. His brother is sick. They don't have insurance. And the movie, you know, tries to ground it in some sort of reality that you can believe in. Mm-hmm. And the other lead in the movie is Dominique Fishback. And by the way, if you've not seen Swarm um, on, uh, on Amazon, I, <laughs> I highly recommend you see it. It's insane. Uh, uh, and you should, you should watch it. If you've not seen Swarm, it's a, it's a, Amazon series. It's very dark and very fucked up and really, really twisted. And Dominique Fishback is unbelievable in it. Um, and she's terrific uh, in it, too. And, and I, I don't know. I liked what they did. I liked the time period. I liked the music. Um, and I liked the fact that it was told from the point of view of working class minorities. And they made that kind of the universal theme of the movie. 
Um, so yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I liked it. I, you know, and I went in like with the, with the worst attitude you could possibly imagine. I had the lowest expectations that any human being can have, especially, like I said, 24 hours early sitting through that flash shit. I was like, oh God, another one of these dumb movies. And within 15 minutes, it won me over. I was having a blast and I laughed at a lot of it. It's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but for, um, your basic, big, crazy special effects blockbuster, you, you can do a lot worse than this movie. In fact, I had a very good time watching this movie. <laughs> and I'm stunned. I'm stunned at, at how, how, how much fun I thought this movie was. And again, the answer to the problem of the Transformers movies is absolutely, without question, Michael Bay. That's, that's <laughs> it. Because they they've made two good Transformer movies. So it's not the concept that's bad. You know, making a movie out of out of, out of a cartoon or, or or a bunch of toys. Oh, that's probably the that's probably the wrong. You know, that's probably the problem. That's not the problem. The problem was Michael Bay. So, I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. I had a good time. I don't know. I, I not quite I, this year's Suspiria, but it's not. not no, but it, but, it, but, it's, <laughs> but and I will say, and I and like this this whole weird this whole weird attempt to tie in. And Eric, you're gonna. I don't know what you're going to think of this movie. I don't know what you're okay. going to do. It. I have no idea. You're probably not going to like it. But the, the this this attempt at the end to tie it in is just like everybody in the audience went what? Some people cheered, but Steve, you were sitting next to me, and we both went what? Like what the? Fu-? And when you see Eric, what they try to do at the end and how it's supposed to tie in with another franchise, you're just going to go what the fuck? I mean, seriously. So. I'm not even sure it's a franchise that exists anymore. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's just so weird. It is. It's just so weird. Like, wait a minute. And and then it makes sense. And it makes sense at the end when you realize what company is the sub producer. You know, I don't want to give it away, but it makes sense in that regard. You're like, oh, I see why they're doing this. But I didn't I didn't think there was a connection between those two franchises until this you know, postscript. It's also not the worst idea, but it's, it's not, it's not, no. it's not the worst idea. Uh, so I don't know. Anyway, I, I thought, uh, I thought Transformers Rise of the Beast. I had a good time. I don't okay. give a shit. I had, a, I had fun and I enjoyed it. Not as good as Bumblebee, which is still a really terrific movie, but you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I had a good time watching the really dumb, big action blockbuster and I enjoyed it. All right, uh, yeah. Eric. Have you heard about any of the uh, the, the connection or whatever was? Is- no, no. I just I'm really excited. Apparently, they're going to combine it with monster trucks. I guess. And so, well, no, you'll see. <laughs> no, no, you'll see, Eric. It's it's weird. It's just, just trust okay. me. Trust us on this. <laughs> like that that moment at the end when the reveal happens. It's like what? Like it's at the very end. So I got to sit yeah. all the way through this. No, 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 no. You don't. No, 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 no. Oh, this is like mid, like, like mid credits thing. Yeah, mid credits. Yeah, okay. It's not even that. It's like literally like. It's not even like you don't even have to sit through most of the mid credits. It's quick. It happens, and yeah, okay. it, and after that reveal, you can leave. There's nothing after. Okay. We sat through. Yeah, the, yeah. We sat through the whole credits uh, yeah. to see if there was anything else. Yeah. There's nothing, so you can leave after that. But trust me, like when that reveal happens, you're going to want to leave. I can't. I <laughs> <laughs> hey. Man, so, yeah. Anyway, but no, okay. I enjoyed it. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Eric, why don't you tell us about uh, a movie that is um, on Shutter mm-hmm. uh, that. Also debuted at the the last Chicago Critics uh, Film Festival this year. It's a horror film uh, locally uh, uh, produced here. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Brooklyn 45. And I will say this. Um, anybody who is from Chicago or is familiar with Chicago, <laughs> uh, when the opening shot happens and it says Brooklyn 45, if you're from Chicago, you go, no, dude, that's not, that's not Brooklyn. <laughs> 
That is not Brooklyn. That is a that is that is a two flat uh, on Sheffield. That's not that is not fucking Brooklyn. So like I mean just technically because literally the first shot of the movie and it said Brooklyn forty five. I was shaking my head going no no that's about six blocks from where I'm sitting. That's that's because that's I saw it at the music box. But anyway, uh, it's called Brooklyn forty five, a period horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. Eric, tell us about this uh, about this one. Yes, uh, this is the, the new film from uh, writer and director Ted Gagan, uh, who, full disclosure, uh, both Steve and I know pretty well. He's actually he's mm-hmm. also a publicist, um, and I actually uh, I served on a jury with him at a film festival here many years ago. So, uh, But he's also, I mean, he's branched out to become a filmmaker as well. He's done some uh, interesting films, a horror film called We Are Still Here, uh, and a really interesting Native American uh, revenge tale called Mohawk. Uh, and this with Brooklyn 45, uh, as for the title hints to uh takes place in 1945 just after uh world war ii uh and uh, a group of uh really old friends who all served together in the war uh, are coming together as one night to visit a friend of theirs uh colonel in the war played by uh, larry fessenden uh who's gathered them together uh hopefully for a night of merriment but uh, he has something else on his mind um, he's, uh, pretty much three sheets of the wind when, uh, uh, he, they show up to his place and, uh, he wants to conduct a seance, uh, to contact his recently, uh, dead wife. Uh, and the reason why, uh, she's dead is she killed herself, uh, because she believed that a neighbor down the street, a German woman was really a Nazi spy. So he wants to communicate her, to communicate to her, uh, and maybe find out some more information about this. And all the friends, more or less reluctantly, agree to participate in this. And uh, we'll just say that things go a little haywire. Uh, as any anyone who's seen a séance in a movie knows, they don't usually go well. Uh, but this one, uh, you know, brings that very. Uh, idea about whether or not this the the suspicion of this woman up the street was really a nazi brings that really front and center to the story but it's also uh, a tale about all of them coming to terms with the way uh the the traumas that uh they served uh one of them played by ann ramsey was an interrogator who gets to uh and actor skills uh during this this evening uh there are uh talk of talks of war crimes and uh all all the stuff that goes along with that um and so what you have here you have a ghost story you have kind of a a mystery uh behind it and there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff sort of dug under the surface uh you know we call this movie a horror movie and yes it has ghosts uh and uh some almost like stephen king like uh uh setting um and uh things that go on during it but it's it's mostly I mean it's sort of it's more of a, tra- a story about trauma and uh, and coming to terms with uh, what what all of these people did during the war uh, and it, so it's not really necessarily a scary movie there are definitely moments of <laughs> some bloody fun in this movie um, but it's I mean it's a very uh, it's almost like a theatrical play in many respects it's one setting it's one room uh, they can't leave the room uh, at one point. Uh, and all of them stuck together, so there's a lot of arguing and a lot of uh, things that are uncovered. Uh, and I, I think the movie mostly works. Uh, I think that there are bits where you kind of want uh, the action to be tightened up a little bit and really uh, nail home some of the uh, 
some of the plotline stuff with the the Nazi spy uh, and exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, And then it kind of gets to like a pretty shocking, abrupt kind of ending. Uh, But then I like the way uh, everyone's the the survivors, so to speak, uh, leave the place at the end. Uh, So I'm getting kind of a marginal recommendation for me, but I am, I think Brooklyn 45, there's enough in here that will uh, entice fans of the genre. Okay. Steve? Yeah, I mean, this This is, I mean, it's clearly like a COVID-era production. It's a one-setting, small group of characters. Um, but this, I mean, in most horror films where there's a seance, the seance, maybe there's one or two of them, is usually like a centerpiece sequence in that film. And here, it's the whole movie. And this is like a seance that goes on for 90 minutes. And... Um, but it's also like a, a these people, most of the people who were in the military during World War II have a lot to answer for. And so th- going through this is kind of their punishment slash penance. It's that they kind of have to fess up to all the horrible shit that they did during the war. I love that Anne Ramsey, who's the only female military person in this movie, is like the the big interrogation expert slash torture expert. And and she gets to just for like, and you sort of the whole movie, you're going, I don't believe that she could be like that. And then we get one moment where she has to actually test out her, her skill. We have, she has to sort of bring her skills back to the forefront and it's, it's pretty awful. Um, so yeah, I also really was uh, impressed with Christina Klebe's, um She's the German woman. Um, she's she's I think she's been to flashback, right, Nick? I think yeah, she's she has been there before. Yeah. yeah, um, she's she's a great like genre actress, but I've never seen her do anything like this. And she's got I mean, I'm guessing she has some German roots because her accent is pretty much flawless in this thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, this this is just like a great Eric's right. It's like some of the story items, some of the story things get pulled out, dragged out a little bit too much. But I think the acting is really solid. And so I just kind of leaned back and watched it as an acting exercise. And like Eric said, like a film play. Um, But I think there's suspense. I think there's like, um, I think this is a period piece. It kind of works. And there's some really interesting observations about paranoia and xenophobia even. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's, uh, I like that Ted Gagan is, trying something different with each new film and just not doing a variation of what he did with his first film, which is probably his most, his most traditional horror film. Uh, but I think, I think this is a solid entry in his filmography. So yeah, also I'm not recommending a, not, not a big fan. Um, I, I, I did enjoy the performances um, and it does play like a play and I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, and I really liked, I thought the set was great. Um, uh, uh, the the production design fantastic the costumes uh, great of that era and I thought everybody was solid in it I just didn't really care about what was happening nor was I frightened at any moment in the movie and nor did I feel any kind of suspense I admired watching the actors act um, the script itself uh, there was no like grab for me like I really didn't care about what was happening on a technical aspect I appreciated looking at the art direction and looking at the set and looking at the actors do their thing. But I just didn't care until, like, the last 10 minutes when there's some badass uh, practical makeup effects. <laughs> and there is a, there is a fantastic uh, sequence that involves some really badass gore, practical, old-school makeup effects that, to me, 
was the entire highlight of the entire movie. It involves a guy smashing his face off of a table and what, you know, I mean, that <laughs> shit, the practical effects, and, and that again, I'm, I appreciate that, and that's part of, that's consistent with the whole style of the movie. It's very, you know, it's a small budget movie. It's all one setting and beautifully realized. Like I said, all the technical aspects of this movie, the way it's shot, you know, the way it's cut, the actors themselves are all pros. Everything looks good from the costume to the set design to everything. And then the, the practical makeups just knock it out of the park at the end. So on a technical level, I really liked it. I just wasn't frightened or interested in anything that was happening. Um, but you know what? It's on Shudder, and I, you know, it's 90 minutes, less than 90 minutes. Um, and it goes by pretty quick. So on a technical level, I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. I just didn't care, nor was I scared. Uh, but, you know, technically, great shit in it. Like, good acting. Good technical stuff and great, great practical makeup effects in that last scene, man. Just uh-huh. really awesome. Like to the point where the audience is going, yeah! You know, like, <laughs> uh, so that was cool. All right, we're kind of out of time here, but very quickly. It's not like we need a lot of time. Uh, but there is this movie that Eva Longoria uh, has directed. Uh, she directed a documentary before this. This is her first, uh, well, it's based on a true story. But it's mm-hmm. about the invention of, of flaming Hot Cheetos and how that came to be. We don't really have time to talk about it, but very briefly, uh, Steve, what did you think of flaming Hot? Um, yeah, it's... God, it's, it's in that same vein as, like, other recent stuff like Air and Tetris where we're kind of getting this, like, pop yeah. culture origin story. But it's, it's kind of difficult not to be somewhat moved by the story of this guy that literally created a billion dollar flavor. Like it's, there's, there's humor here that like kind of kept me engaged. And I kind of, I I think there's a great story here. I'm just not sure that she has told the great version of that story. So it's uh, it's very, it feels like it's kind of glossed over a lot of stuff and especially about his past. And I don't know. It, it's it feels very surfaced. And I feel like this is something that you could dive into and find the humor in in what it is he created and the fact that this fucking flavor is yeah. everywhere. Everywhere. It's not just on, yeah, but but I, I it's it's a fascinating journey and this is not the, a good telling of that journey, I don't think. All right. All right. Eric, what did you think of Flame and Hot? Uh, I didn't like it either. And I think one of the big problems with it uh, is that the, the movie is so based upon this idea of the community and the, the the food that they consume. And they just like, I mean, the whole movie is just like, we like hot stuff. And that's right. basically where it kind of ends. Like right. I, I, this movie should have been like a great food movie uh, and really getting into the family structure and the communities. But it's really just about this guy and the way that he comes up with the idea and of putting this, these spices together to create the, the flaming hot Cheeto and how it took off. So, I mean, I saw this at South by Southwest before the sort of the recent influx of product based cinema with like air and blackberry yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all a thing now. Uh, and this is by far the weakest of, of all of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. I think blackberry's worse, but this <laughs> oh, God, is, no, uh, no, no. Yeah, I mean, this, no, this is much better than blackberry. It's, oh, much it's than not. Than Nick. No. Yes, it is like by a mile. It's not even close. Talk um, about TV movies. And this is the, this no, one. I know, I know. I'm not saying this movie's good. Okay. I'm saying it's better than BlackBerry. <laughs> you, you Doesn't mean it's better. good. Yeah, which means Bla- oh. that's how that's how fucking bad BlackBerry is. No, it's a te- okay. BlackBerry is a terrible fucking movie. Uh. This one's not too much, uh, not too much better. But like, I think mostly than anything, what you guys both mentioned is that it's a completely missed opportunity. And what the way that Eva Longoria is actually doing the press on this is she really is talking about it as though it's the movie we wanted. 
You know what I mean? Like about, <laughs> but like, no. like culture, like culturally, seriously, that's the movie that it should have been about, and that's the movie that during these interviews she's doing that she purports that it is about. You know what I mean? I wanted to yeah, learn no. more about the reasons why and the culture behind it, and it's touched upon in the movie. But a better movie would have been that, and Eva Longoria is talking about it as though she made that movie, <laughs> and, and she didn't. She didn't make that movie. So anyway, but it's better than Black yeah. All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> let it go, let it go, Eric. Let it go. Uh, it's, it's a I, I can't. I it's can't. A terrible, terrible movie. Um, we know, all we right, know so obviously there. we all agree on we all agree on past lives. Uh, everybody should see past yeah. lives. That's the one we yeah. all agree on. And somehow uh, this this Transformers movie is good. I don't know how the hell. <laughs> <laughs> all right what do we got in two weeks what are we doing uh that's asteroid well, city Astero- right asteroid city yeah and that's the big jennifer lawrence big is trying to bang someone oh jennifer i can't wait to see that okay yeah no hard feelings which even even the uh even the title is a raunchy double entendre i yeah. can't uh-huh. wait <laughs> can't wait to see it i'm so excited that's the movie this summer that i'm most excited about i'm just the guy <laughs> Besides Barbie, all the other shit I don't care about. I'm excited about the about that. So anyway, all right, we'll talk about that the next time. And uh, Eric, Steve, thank you guys, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Sounds good. All right, see you later. later. There's uh, Steve Procopi and Eric Childress, and that's the movies. And let's talk to Esmeralda. Lee. Esmeralda, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, I'm talking about that Esmeralda. Esmeralda Leon. And there's the theme. That means it's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, who joins me on uh, every episode. Let's say hello to Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm all right. You know, things happening. Good. (laughs) I don't know. Good that things Uh, are happening. That's good. Uh, what about, uh, what about with you? Anything, uh, uh, planned for the weekend? It is Friday. Anything happening? Um, not at the moment. No, oh. not oh. yet. Oh, was not there something yet? Is there something like in the stages of planning that is a mystery? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're making it sound like you had some sort of like secret plan or operative that was happening with the CIA. Are you a CIA oh, spy? Oh, no. No? I mean, even if I was, I couldn't tell you. Oh, that's right. You couldn't. What kind of? I mean, <laughs> and everyone to... listening. Yeah, you would have to kill me. You would have to. I, I can't. I, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. What's that? That, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. old saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. yeah! 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 All right, take it easy. Hold on. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How are Hi, you? I'm Carrie Russell, right. and I love Nick's show. All right. All right. Carrie was wearing a I'm in the CIA t shirt. I don't know what that oh, means. Oh, wow. Well, because she was, I mean, she's, you know. Well, she wasn't. Shows she was, she was in the Americans, and uh, she right. was like a, she was a spy. No, she was a Russian spy in that. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, she has contact with the CIA in the new Netflix series, The Diplomat. So see, which is really good, by the way. If you've never seen it, it's really good. 
Yeah. And uh, you have um, actually, you... yeah, we're actually we are doing something this weekend. We are. We're going to Mexico to go see Michael Bolton. Oh, that's that's and right. Yeah. Michael Bolton. That's right. I totally forgot about how can I forget about our trip to Mexico to see the and one gentlemen, the only... Michael Bolton. Yeah. Hey, we're but... actually actually I'm sorry. We're already there. Oh, we're there. That's right. I totally yeah. forgot. We had a really it was a really it was a really we're in Mexico. Yeah, it's a whirlwind, oh. right? You don't remember. You no, just, here's, you know. There, here's what I remember about being in Mexico. Get that coat out of my face! That's the that's what I remember. That's what I remember. That was, quite, that a, that was quite a moment. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who said that. We just offered corn to Jack Black. and Yeah. Get that coat out of my face! I mean, that's not nice. I think he was, yeah, he was, he was there, too. Or he's there, too. He's yeah, here he's, now. He's there now. I guess he's, like, he's... He's he's a huge Lucha Michael Libre. Bolton fan. He's a know. huge and he's also a Lucha Libre, which uh, which is I say here. Get that coat out of my face! All right, all right, all right. So Michael Bolton. By the way, uh, uh, our friend and Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the season finale of Aquafina is Nora from Queens was on last night. Mm-hmm. And he came back and appeared for the season finale. <laughs> mm. he, did. he did. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing uh, had a very like a big uh, climax at the end with it that had a wedding and he played in the wedding band. Oh wow! Uh, on Busy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of the people, uh, you know, some of the ladies who write for Nora uh, from, is from Queens. Nora from Queens mm-hmm. uh, wrote a film that I saw last night at a screening that I can't really talk about because there's an embargo, but it's called Joyride. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of like. Um, bridesmaids, but specifically with Asian uh, actresses. Okay. Uh, uh, and it's fucking hilarious. I'm not supposed to, sorry, I'm not supposed to review it, but it's hilarious. I, I, it's, it's very, very raunchy, like really raunchy, like, yeah, you know, uh, and it's just, it's written uh, and directed by, uh, it's written by, by uh, two really incredibly great female Asian writers. Uh, Asian American mm-hmm. writers who write for Aquafina, who write for uh, Family Guy. Um, uh, the director wrote Crazy Rich Asians, and it stars uh, Stephanie Chu, who was nominated last year for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and it's got a whole bunch of uh, great actresses in it. And there, it's kind of like you, you, you know how the guys are always allowed to do shit like The Hangover and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then like Bridesmaids comes out and breaks that you know breaks that tradition. Like women can do raunchy R-rated comedy too. Well, now this one goes a step further by letting it be told completely from the point of view of Asian American women, and it's I was on the floor. I was on the floor. It's called cool. Joyride. It's, it's called Joyride, and the the a lot of the ladies who wrote for Nora from is from Queen, Nora from Queens uh, wrote this. So it was it was kind of a double feature. I saw Joyride, and I got home, and I watched the season finale of Aquafina is Nora from uh, Queens. No, oh, there you go. So it was good, and 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 he was on Ladies it, gentlemen. Michael Bolton. There we go. So yeah. So it looks like we have to wait till July seventh. That's see it. yes. You'll have to wait till July seventh. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that will be the day after you celebrate my birthday. Everybody will celebrate mm. my birthday. Well, there you go. That's why. Yeah. I look at it as a birthday gift uh, to me. The movie Joyride. There and again, you go. I, I've spoken too much about it because there's an, <laughs> there's an embargo, and I probably will now be never invited to another Lionsgate movie as long as I live. Oh, boy. I kind of broke the embargo. In fact, I, but the problem is, the thing I don't understand about some of these embargoes is 
why do you not want me to talk about a movie that I really enjoyed? You know what I mean? Well, because they don't know yet. <laughs> whether I enjoy, whether I'm going to enjoy it, I know. But once, but once I see it and I enjoy it, can I say, do you really not me- want me to talk about this? You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I can they understand. Have a thing after the movie, like if you like to go you ahead and talk, talk about this in a good way. <laughs> right, right, right. Because like I'm sure, like after I saw the after I saw the the Flash. They were like, don't say a word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, Nick, shut up about The Flash. Oh, but Joyride? Yes, go ahead and talk about it. So, anyway. All right. Well, so I've blown that already. So there you go. Uh, Good job. Anyway, I'll never go to another <laughs> screening again. So, but anyway, even though I really like the movie. So, anyway. All right. Uh, we do have uh, some some stuff we're going to talk about here. Um, stars that did some throwaway things that nobody remembers that's the article here that we're going to talk about you remember when people would do mm-hmm. things with you know actors starred and stuff from the past you dig it up and you go oh my god they were in that or look yeah, at them for sure they were like 16 and now that you know you don't even recognize yeah. them anymore so yeah, we'll talk yeah. about stuff that people did before they were stars uh that's coming up and we do have a um Magic megaphone request. And again, if you have a magic megaphone request, you want me to say anything to the megaphone or play something into the megaphone, uh, tell a joke or a story or whatever, uh, leave your request for the magic megaphone, either voicemail, tell me what you want me to say and the story behind it, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948. Okay, as we normally do, Esmeralda, I will play it and then explain it. And this is going to require some explanation. Okay, got it. Okay, so this was requested by Carol, who lives in Avondale. So not a neighbors of ours then, kind of, because mm. Av- Avondale is kind of close to where we both, the areas on the north side of Chicago that where we live. Um, yeah, Avondale is kind of in that area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, so anyway, this is uh, Carol from Avondale requested this be uh, recorded into the megaphone. Here we go. What's so funny, bucko? What's so funny, bucko? What's so funny, bucko? So, what's this is so the, funny, yeah, all right. bucko? All right, okay. What's so all right. Funny? All right. So, that was, uh, so you, you, I'm assuming you understood what was said into the, it, is there some music going on in the back? Am I crazy? Um, I? I think that's you. Is that me? Is it me? Yeah, that's not me. Okay. It's on your end. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, I don't. I don't know what's. I don't know where that would be coming from. Uh, but okay, all right. I, I would trust you on that. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, so you, you understood what they what it said. Hmm. It was what's so funny, Bucko is the yes. Okay, the story behind that is, uh, and there's it's it's kind of a weird story. Carol says that she was walking up the stairs from the basement with laundry, and she tripped. Oh, no. And she dropped the laundry. Like, she didn't hurt herself, but she dropped the laundry. And her husband was sitting at the kitchen table where the basement door is Mm -hmm. and chuckled And as she fell up the stairs and dropped the laundry. And she said, what's so funny, bucko? So, so. What's so funny, bucko? So she falls and drops the laundry and he laughs and she says that. But that's not really the payoff because the payoff is... He started laughing even more because she never said the word bucko before ever in her life. Oh, wow. And, she, and so she's like, <laughs> she's like, I had no reason to say it. I have no idea why it said it. 
Wait a second. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was that that is me. Okay, so this this article, by the way, this article that we're going to get to, just yeah. so you know, um, the article that we're going to get to, where we talk about the big stars and what they used to star in, um, there is some audio that gets played when you have that up too long on your screen. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. good. Okay. It just and there's no video or anything. I'm just looking at the screen. I'm like, well, it can't be me, and then it is me. All right. So anyway, uh, so she never said bucko before. Yeah. And she said that actually made her husband laugh harder. <laughs> so. Does she know? Like, did she hear she ba- it she says it. No, she says it. No, she just says, I have no idea why I said it. It was the first hmm. word that came out of my mouth. Yeah. She'd never really said it before. And that caused her husband to laugh even harder than when she fell with the laundry. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay, now, what is happening here? Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening with this, with the, with what's going on in the world here on this phone with the sounds. I don't know. All right. Anyway. Uh, all right. So, Bucko. Hey, you ever, have you ever used the word Bucko? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I can't recall when I did, but I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've said it in a, in a um, threatening way, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I've I've said it for something. I'm trying to remember what was that a was somebody was there was there someone like referred to as Bucko? Oh, was it Happy Days? When when I don't know. Okay, maybe we can look this up um, or something. I think when Richie Cunningham, you know, played by uh, Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. I think when he tried to get tough with people, he would call them bucko. I mean, that's probably I, it's entirely. I, and maybe that's <laughs> where Carol subconsciously had it buried in the back of her mind. Like yeah. Maybe when she was a kid, she watched Happy Days. Or maybe I'm completely <laughs> it's wrong. It's just been lying dormant. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, when Richie Cunningham wanted to get tough with somebody... Let's yeah. go. He would say something like, let's go, bucko. Or he would like, like his insult when he wanted to try and be a tough guy. Yeah. Was he would call somebody bucko. And then Fonzie would go, no, don't call him bucko. That's not tough. You know what I mean? Or something along, something along those lines. Yeah. I think um, just doing a quick search. Yeah. He, oh, is that uh, right? It's he true. would use that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You are correct. Wow. Okay. So well, he this... might have. Uh, so he might have. Uh... I think that's where consciously had been hiding like a sleeper yeah. cell <laughs> waiting sleeper... for the right moment. It was a sleeper <laughs> cell in Carol's head waiting for the right moment. Bucko. Okay. I guess that was, that's where it comes from. Cause she really, in the email, you know, the explanation that she has, she doesn't mention happy days. She doesn't mention, you mm-hmm. know, Richie Cunningham. That's what popped into my mind here. Right on the fly here was thinking, you know, that Bucko was once something that Richie Cunningham said when he was trying to be a tough guy. Yeah. And how is that tough, bucko? You know, uh, well, I mean, Happy Days was set in the 50s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> it was set in the 50s. It was odd, though, because it was set in the 50s. And then as the show went on, you know, for what, how many ever years it was on? It was on for, shit, probably 10 seasons at least. It was on, you know, because, you know, Ron Howard left for, you know, after a while. And it was just like mm-hmm. Fonzie was the lead. And then they had the spinoff, The Joni Loves the Chachi was a spinoff and 
uh, Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days, too. And so was um, Berkeley's Beauties or Busby's Berkeley's Beauties or some shit. There was, a, there was another one that was a spinoff of Happy Days. There were like three spinoff. Mork and Mindy's a spinoff of Happy Days. Because um, um, he can time travel. Mork can time travel. That's why. Right. He went, he went right. back to the 50s. When Mork first showed up as an alien, he showed up on Happy Days. And Robin Williams is killed it before or after they jumped the shark. <laughs> uh, my guess is that that's wow. That's a good question. And literally jumped the shark because that's the show. It that, has to be. It has. I, to I, it, be it has after. to be. I, it, I, I, yeah, I would. I would. I would imagine so. Because it was Blansky's Beauties. Was it called Blansky's Beauties? And I don't know what the connection was to Happy Days, but that was a Happy Days spinoff. Mm-hmm. Laverne and Shirley's was a Laverne and Shirley was a Happy Days spinoff. Morgan Minnie was a Happy Days spinoff. Happy Days was a spinoff. Happy Days was a spinoff of Love American Style. So Happy Days wasn't even an original show. That was a spinoff. Um, but Bucko, and that, I guess that's where it all came from. But yeah, no, uh, the, yeah. the 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 um the, the I don't know when the the jump in the shark thing happened. Um, I'm not really sure, but yeah, but by the time by the time it was on, you know, you mentioned it that we we've been talking about this. It takes place in the fifties. Uh, mm-hmm. But after a while, they didn't even pretend that anymore. Like nobody had grease in their hair. Their hair was late seventies or early eighties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they had feathered wow. hair at one point. Like you know, they all had feathered hair, like because it was the late seventies, early eighties, and they just didn't care about that. They they did not care about the authenticity of the of when it's supposed to take place, fifties or sixties. Right. They all looked like it was the eighties. <laughs> it was the eighties at that point. By the time Joni Loves Chachi came out, everybody had feathered hair and combs in their back pocket, like it was you know nineteen eighty one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but that was long after the shark jumped or he jumped the shark. The shark didn't jump. Right. Fonzie. I would think, yeah, it's probably mid mid of whatever that yeah. was happening. Bucko. That's hilarious that Carol from Avondale, I think I think when she listens to this, she's going to go, that's got to be it. Maybe she was yeah. like a. a she might have caught an episode. <laughs> and it just, and, and, and you know what happened when she tripped up the stairs and fell, it jarred Bucko loose from her head. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what <laughs> That's what happened. I'm telling you, the CIA is gonna come for her soon. <laughs> Recruit her back in. Yeah. Ow! All right. Anyway. Uh so uh, that's your uh, magic megaphone. If you have a magic megaphone request, just leave it at the uh, voicemail or leave it on the email, uh, and I will get to it at some point. Because we do have a lot of them and they're kind of backed up, but please have patience and send as many as you want. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you, so do you remember, uh, before they were stars, stuff like that? Are there certain, um, stars that you remember being in something or starring in something that they would like to forget? Are there certain, like, before they were stars, things that you remember? Um, not that I know that they would want to forget. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could imagine. Um, I, could, I could name a few things. That they but, like um, I'm actually, Colin, uh, because I talked about it. Uh, a few times he saw he seeked out because it's not streaming so he he bought the dvd set of homicide life on the street so so on this list they have it yeah wait the whole did he buy the whole the the whole series i i believe it is the whole series holy shit oh man okay that's a pretty good investment man because that show was on for i want to say six seven seasons it ran from 92 to 99 apparently yeah so like um seven seasons yeah. <laughs> so we've been watching we've been watching that and yeah um, 
there's a lot of people that I was like, oh, I didn't yeah. know she, you were on it. I didn't know she was on it. Like, yeah, yeah. At yeah. the no, time, you know, you don't know. That's a badass show. That's a great show. That's one of the best shows. I mean, what do you what do you think of the show? I mean, I've watched it before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. When it was on. Yeah. But yeah, we're just rewatching it. Oh, it's so fucking good. It's so good. And so many great people on it and behind the camera. You know, Chicago's own John McNaughton, uh, director oh. of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and Wild Things and Mad Dog and Glory. He directed several episodes of that. Catherine Bigelow, the incredible Catherine Bigelow, directed a couple of episodes of that show. Yeah. Not even in front of the camera, but behind the camera, some serious directors uh, and great actors. Um, so, what, okay, who, who, who were you discovering while you were watching Homicide? Uh, Melissa Leo. Oh, yeah. Right off huh? the bat. I completely yeah. forgot she was in it. <laughs> She's badass on that show, man. Totally badass. And I think won Emmys. Um, yeah. Now, the, the obvious one for me, I'll save uh, uh, because he was like the the king on the show and I won't get into who it is. We can save that. I think, cause I know who you, I think I know, who, you know who I'm talking about. Um, who for me is like the best thing on the show. Uh, but Melissa Leo, um, and she's, she rules on that show, like totally owns it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, she would go on to win the Oscar for that Marky Marky Wahlberg fighter movie. Oh yeah. 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 She won the Academy Award for that. Um, She's yeah, she's great. Melissa Leo is great. Um, who else? Um, Edie Falco as well. I didn't I didn't realize she was in the movie or in the movie in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in the first episodes. Well, that's like a through line of of a cop getting shot, and she's the the wife of the cop who mm-hmm. is uh the cop is um <laughs> what I noticed is Chet from the TV show Weird Science. Oh no! I you'd have to help me because all that I know played is, on USA. Okay, I don't know who played. I know Chet was was Paxton in the in the movie. It was Bill Paxton in the movie because he's the only thing in that movie that didn't make me want to punch the TV. Um, but I can't remember who played Chet in the TV. I remember the TV series. God, it was a USA Network, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was. Um, oh, and he man. just has a he just has quite a not a look, but he has a. To me, a familiar face. Do you know who his he, name what? is? Uh, Lee Turgeson. Lee Turgeson. So he's been in Oz. He's been in like he's you know he's a character actor. He's been in a million yeah. things. It's not Turd Ferguson. Um, no, not Turd Ferguson from <laughs> that Sean Connery used on uh, Celebrity Jeopardy. No, that's uh, Sean Connery. Uh, Burt Reynolds. Uh, that Norm Macdonald. Ah, uh, Turd Ferguson. My name's Turd Ferguson. It's a funny name. <laughs> <laughs> so weird science okay the guy from weird science who played chet was on homicide mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. <laughs> so that took me i'm like and that guy so yeah that was and, funny uh on homicide you also have i mean obviously richard belzer mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. who just passed away uh last yeah. year the, the the late great richard belzer who of course had the distinction of playing that character on a crossover series on a different network because he played the same character on the law and order shows. And it was an NBC. I, if I remember correctly, homicide was CBS. Maybe I'm wrong. No, no. no? Cause I never watched CBS. Okay. Well maybe, okay. Well, I don't know why I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't his draft, but he was the same character on homicide that he was in law and order. He was, yes. Um, and it was weird because it was not, they never connected. I don't think Law and Order and Homicide ever connected 
outside of that. Like, right. I don't know. It was weird that they, because they kind of didn't exist in the same universe. I almost feel like it's a, it's like the spinoff, like Law and Order. Well, Law and Order was before Homicide. For, for Richard Belzer. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, it was. It was like, it felt like a spinoff, like, because he went, no, no, I think Law and Order was already around, but he joined, like, his Law well, and Order. because he, he's on S, he's on SVU he, mainly he's on, now, or He's was. on S, SVU, um, yeah. But then he showed up on like Criminal Intent, but I think those were all afterwards. Um, but yeah, no. But Belzer started out. He was he played uh, Munts, right? Was his name? Was it Munts? No, Munch. Mad, Mad, Munch. Munts. Munts was was yeah. John Goodman's name in Barton Fink. Mad Mad Munts, the killer in Barton <laughs> Barton Barton Fink. I'm getting everything confused now. Um, but yeah, but Homicide. The but the who uh, who else did you discover on Homicide while you've been watching? So you got, um, I mean, I knew Richard, I knew, I knew, um, uh, Richard Andre Brower was in it. Well, that's, that's the guy that's, you know what I mean? Like he owned that show. Frank Temple, uh, Templeton Mm -hmm. was, was Mm -hmm. the, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's like one of the greatest characters I think in TV history. Um, and he's unbelievable in the arc that his character went on, what they put that character through, um, during, you know, the run of homicide. And, uh, you know, like, like he was so good on that show. And if I'm not mistaken, he won like multiple Emmys, I think for that. I think he was one, I think he won multiple Emmys for that, for that show. Um, but yeah, no, he, he is Andre Brower. And then like he, you know, one of the things about Homicide, if you remember Homicide, you've been rewatching it, so you do remember this, you know, that one of the, not cliches, but one of the one of the trademarks of that show mm-hmm. was when they would take the suspect into the box. Right. And, you know, and, and interrogate them in the box. That was like a huge part of every episode. It was so cool. Like every time they went into the box, it was badass, and nobody was better in the box than Frank was when, uh, on, uh, Brower. And so they did an episode of Brooklyn nine, nine, um, called the box. You know, and it was probably about four seasons into Brooklyn Nine Nine, and they just had Austin Pen- or Austin Pendleton. Uh, they just had Andre Brower um, go in and interrogate a prisoner in in very hilarious fashion. But it was obviously <laughs> it, it was a tribute to homicide. Yeah, uh, I like watching it and being like, "This is his origin story from Brooklyn Nine Nine." <laughs> yeah, like- <laughs> there it is. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, but. Yeah, Homicide, Life on the Streets, man. Uh, I mean, it's truly one of the best shows. I mean, one of the best, you know, landmark shows in in network history. I think. I mean, an amazing show. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. And a lot of people popped up on that one. Um, do you remember? Uh, this isn't uh, part of the article here. That if I open up again, I'm afraid to open it again because I, we're going to hear commercials and music blasting out of my phone. Um, the Do you remember the McDLT commercial with Jason Alexander? I do not. No. <laughs> you should look it up, Esmeralda. You should look it up. Um, you remember the McDLT, right? No. The sa- oh, you don't remember the McDLT. So the McDLT, the McDLT was a sandwich at McDonald's that lasted, I don't know, less than a year, maybe a year or something. People remember. Yeah. And here was the gimmick. Are you ready for the gimmick? You might remember it when I describe it to you. It came out in 85, so okay. I wasn't okay, eating were, McDonald's at you the time. You were two. You were two. Uh, but... Came out in 85, and the idea was 
it keeps the hot side hot and the cool side cool. And the I the the the, the fresh approach to that was that you know how you hate it when you get a burger and the vegetables on the burger are all soggy, like the lettuce is yeah. all wilted and the yeah. tomatoes are all I mean, wet. Yeah, the whole idea makes sense. Yeah. Well, the thing is that they would have this styrofoam container, and on one side they would put the patty with the melted cheese and the hot stuff, and on the other side they would right. put the top, the top of the bun with the t- onions and the you know the tomatoes and the lettuce on the other side. But the thing is that they would put the whole goddamn thing into the into the heating. Uh, uh, oh, bin. so useless! Completely <laughs> useless. Yeah, so they, would, they would have had to invented a new a new. Um, like heater thing that yeah. would have a side where you could just pop it so they wouldn't yeah. affect the vegetable. That's so a lot. That seems like it a was lot. Rid- for it one was sandwich. ridiculous. It was like, oh, it's, it keeps the cool side cool and the hot side hot. Not when you put it into the bin, it doesn't because everything, <laughs> it, yeah. it all goes into the heating bin, even the lettuce and the tomato that you're trying to keep crisp. <laughs> Useless. Wow. But people, but nobody people, realized. Did they realize this after the fact? And we're just like, it, well, let's just keep going. <laughs> it, and it's funny because I had I I had I wasn't working at McDonald's at that point. I was I had I quit McDonald's probably a year before this sandwich came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it came out, it was huge. Like people were like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" And people were buying them, you know, really quickly, so that they didn't sit in the bin for a long time because they were very popular. Right. Well, but then, then like, okay. <laughs> then after a few months, when the, you know when the sales kind of dropped and they just kind of sat in the bin for a little while, people would get it and go, "Wait a minute, the fucking lettuce is wilted already." I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a defective DLT. Yeah, yeah, the old McDLT, and I remember the styrofoam container. You know, because uh, you know, it's so it was so good for the environment. The styrofoam container was bigger than any of the styrofoam containers they ever had because it was two sided. It was like huge. Yeah, and <laughs> and and, uh, and so like, pe- but people really loved the sandwich. I remember people really liked because it had mayonnaise on it. It was like it had different toppings than your regular quarter pounder or anything. Mm-hmm. And then the gimmick of oh crispy lettuce and fresh vegetables, you know that was a cool gimmick. Yeah, I mean they're um, really good at, at painting the picture. Yeah, of but then fresh yeah. vegetables. But yeah, the, the actual <laughs> item itself was like limp and like stuck in a heat. Which a also, heating. what's new? Like yeah. usually the McDonald's ad is vastly right. different from what you actually right. get. Well, in the commercial for the McDLT, which keeps the hot side hot and the cool side cool. Is Jason Alexander? He's in the, with hair. So yeah. if you if you want to see Jason it's Alexander, it's unsettling. With hair, it is unse- It is. It's also unsettling to hear him sing a song and do a musical number <laughs> uh, about the McDLT. It's unbelievably funny. I mean, it is absolutely hilarious. If you can find this, you can find it online. All you got to do is yeah. Google Jason Alexander McDLT, and it, it'll pop up. Mm-hmm. And it's him doing a big song and dance number. Like they're in a street. Like at one point, like there are like hundreds of people in the street, which they've blocked yeah. off in order to do this highly choreographed musical number about the fucking McDLT. It's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. They really put a lot into this thing they did. that uh but they, they for some reason did not follow through the whole way. Well, they didn't think. Who didn't think of this? Who didn't think. Didn't, but how that's did what somebody, I mean. Like, yeah, before you advertise it, before you put it out, like, did no one run it through? Right. How do you not? How does it not get out of the boardroom when you go? Well, you know, there's a heating bin that we put these sandwiches in to keep them warm. Right. And it's but gonna... even <laughs> even if it had been it gone through, and maybe they're making the first one. 
Right. And and I would think I would think may probably not maybe not they would make one in a store. Yeah, you would. And then would you would see it. it get put in the thing. Maybe I don't know. Right. I guess not. No, they they would. Te- they I mean that's one of the things they do. I mean you're right. That's right. right they, well, they, they, they test m- market. They must have just forgot, or they must have. Uh, just stopped acknowledging. They te- they test that market. You put it in the heater. They test market everything. They test marketed Mick Pizza here in Chicago. Um, back in the day, and it was at the Rock and Roll McDonald's, uh, which still exists. And it's not the Rock and Roll McDonald's anymore, but it's still mm-hmm. there. The big McDonald's in River East there. Um, and and that's where they uh, they test marketed some of the big stuff. Um, they did. They used to do it in Oak Brook because that's the you know the headquarters. Right, and there was a store in Oakbrook, and the reason I know that there was a store in Oakbrook in the headquarters is because uh, my my when everybody found out that I was dating my manager, they got her out of our store and moved her, moved her to Oakbrook because oh, huh. um, they found out she was sleeping with one of her employees, so they sent her out to they sent her out to Oakbrook, um, and uh, and so I would go out there to meet her and stuff every once in a while, and they had all kinds of test items out there, so if you wanted to like, you know. Uh, taste test something. So I'm sure they had the McDLT out there. Right. They had to, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the headquarters. They would always bring the stuff there, the new stuff there. But yeah, the McDLT, Jason Alexander, he did not help. Jason Alexander did not help uh, the, the McDLT. <laughs> oh, poor. I, I mean, I'm assuming at the time he did not have the star power. Oh, no. That he had no. as Seinfeld. So, no. you know, Mm-mm. He was not. This if was the, long before. If the McDLT had come out during Seinfeld, I'm sure it would have been much more popular. <laughs> uh, absolutely, because if you've got George Costanza, you know what I mean, right. as your spokesperson, you know the biggest liar and most, you know, the biggest jerk on that show, on a show full of jerks, <laughs> being your being your spokesman. That's that's going to go. But uh, but the commercial's hilarious because I mean it's a full on musical number, and at that time, Jason yeah. Alexander. If I'm not mistaken, at that time, Jason Alexander was a stage actor in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he got the gig and he got this commercial and it was a national and it paid well. So he got to, you know, he got to live in New York for for a couple of years just on that. that There you go. (laughs) Good for him. So some of the other uh, things that people might not remember that stars were in um, in this article, does anything pop out uh, at you besides now you're watching Homicide, which is awesome. Um, Right. Anything else pop out Um, for you? You know, the fact that they talk about, I mean, at least for me, it wasn't a big thing, but 200, 200 cigarettes is, I mean, it has a huge cast. It does. It's loaded, um, loaded yeah. to the gills uh, with people. Um, and that was a 99, 200 cigarettes? Yes. Yeah, 1999 uh, that came up. But it's got like, I mean, Jesus Christ, like uh, Courtney Love's in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Rudd, Christina Ricci, the Afflecks, both Ben both and Affleck's, Casey, <laughs> right? Christina Ricci, Kate Hudson, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. um, Jay Moore, um, Martha Plimpton. My God, I mm-hmm. mean, this is yeah, loaded, stacked. <laughs> yeah, Gabby, Gabby Hoffman, um, man, Elvis Costello makes a cameo in it. Yeah. Good Lord. David Johansson? Um, or Bus- Buster Poindexter, if you prefer. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if, well, who uh, was he? What was he doing in it? 
he's a bartender. He's because oh, okay. th- a lot of it take I think it's a New Year's Eve movie, isn't it? Doesn't mm-hmm. it take place on New Year's Eve? Yes, right? Yeah. I think he's a bartender at the bar that uh, some of the characters I I think Courtney Love is in the bar with him at one point. Oh, okay. Okay, so he's not he's not in there as Buster Poindexter. Oh no 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 he's no he plays no he does not play Buster (laughs) Poindexter. He does not play Buster Poindexter. No 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 no. And he is not, you know he he is uh, uh you know he's not like a a glam rocker or anything like that. He's just a bartender. Mm, Um, Okay. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, that's that's got an all star, um, lineup. Yeah, yeah. Good old Courtney Love. <laughs> I'm a fan. I like Courtney Love. Everybody hates her. I like her. Hey, you know, if you want to go back and see John Travolta, because John Travolta did a lot of stuff before he became really famous. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, like he did a lot of, you know, before, I mean, obviously, Welcome Back, Cotter is the thing that put him on the map, but then obviously, right. you know, Saturday Night Fever, just after that, it was it was all over. You, you got the, the one-two punch of Saturday Night Fever in Greece, you know, ridiculous. Uh, but he was in a couple of movies before. I mean, he's in Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he's the he uh, he's a jagoff in Carrie. He's Nancy Allen's asshole boyfriend in Carrie. He kills the pig. He's he kills the pig that that they filled the bucket up with blood. He kills the pig. Uh, in Carrie. But he's in a movie called The Devil's Reign. Have you ever seen that movie, Esmeralda? I have not. Oh man, he melts in it. No oh, goodness. <laughs> If you want to, he's he's got one line in it, mm-hmm. um, and no eyes. He plays like one of the devil oh, worshippers in it. He's got like what? Cool. He's got no. He, I, he's got <laughs> eyes at one point, um, but like at the end, because Ernest Borgnine plays the devil in it. He plays like a guy who <laughs> then yeah he becomes the devil, mm-hmm. and at the end, like William Shatner's in it. Ida Lupino is in it. Uh, it's just it's unbelievably ridiculous movie it's a classic 70s piece of crap yeah and at the end it rains and all of the the devil played by Ernest Borgnine and the makeup by the way is fantastic if you look up the devil's reign mm-hmm. like Ernest Borgnine devil's reign you should look up that makeup because the makeup that he wears as the devil's actually badass it's the same mm-hmm. guys it's the same guys who did the makeup effects for the uh apes movies for the planet of the apes movies Oh, nice! So it's badass. Like the devil, the devil makeup that Ernest Borgnine has is really cool, and especially for that time period. Like this was 1975, maybe, mm-hmm. and that was like, whoa! Look at this makeup. It was total badass makeup. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, I think Tom Berman did some of the makeup for it. Well, anyway, at the end of the movie, there's some sort of biblical rain occurs, mm-hmm. and all of the um, the the worshippers, the devil worshippers who are in their black robes and stuff, and the devil, they start melting. Oh no! And Travolta, <laughs> Travolta melts in the movie. Like you get to see him completely, and his skin melts off, and his and his eyes fall out and shit. And it's fantastic. Yeah. So if you would like Damn. to see jo- John Travolta completely melt on screen before your very right. eyes, <laughs> you can see that. See, and I always like make the. I always say when when it's raining and people are like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna get wet." I'm like, "You're not gonna melt, right?" Unless you're <laughs> well, a devil, uh, unless it's, yeah. Unless, unless you're you wor- in devil's rain. <laughs> unless you worship Ernest Borgnine, that's the only. Uh, that's the, <laughs> that's yeah, the only way, the I'll only have to way. ask that next time. Do you worship 
Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> if you worship Ernest Borgnine, who doesn't? Here's an umbrella. Sorry. Who doesn't? I mean, I worship <laughs> Ernest Borgnine. I love the guy. Um, but yeah, like if you if, so if you uh, if you like Google John Travolta The Devil's Reign mm-hmm. and images, you'll see him going because his whole face melts off and shit. Yeah. And then I remember when The Devil's Reign came out. Came out in 1975. Okay. And. Um, that was in the days when movies would come back to theaters like two years later because we didn't have cable at that time and we didn't have VHS or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they would re-release movies like two years later. So you would see a movie at the movie theater, you know, in a first-run house again two years later. They would re-release it and you, would, you can go and see it as a double feature or something. So when uh, Devil's Reign came out, it was 1975, but Saturday Night Fever came out in 77. And I... You know, to to say that uh, that John Travolta skyrocketed to stardom overnight when that movie came out is an understatement. Like it was, I mean, you had to be there to to experience just how fucking insane it was. Like how big yeah. Travolta was. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, disco took off. A whole mm-hmm. cultural thing happened when that movie came out. Like culture shifted in the world when that movie came out. And on top of that, culture shift was Travolta. And so, if, what did they do? Of course, the Loeb, and I think it was American International who uh, was the, the was the independent company that did a lot of horror movies. I think they're the ones who, the studio that distributed Devil's Reign. So when they, when Travolta blew up with Saturday Night Fever, uh, American International re-released The Devil's Reign with John Travolta's mm-hmm. name over the credits. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, poor guy. Right, so Travolta's on the poster. I think he is the headliner, but I guess not. And they literally would put, like, Travolta's name above, like, they would get people, because Travolta was so huge at the time. And, you know, like, it was like, John Travolta in The Devil's Reign. You know what I mean? And, like, he'd be on the poster, and they would, like, they would push the fact that Travolta's in it, and they actually literally went in and changed the, the film prints to have Travolta's name first in the credits at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they literally changed it. Travolta's in it a total of four minutes. He's got one line and he melts. <laughs> well, good for him. So Good for him. <laughs> so obviously American International is like, well, we want to make more money on this movie. So, Oh, yeah. So they get everybody to go and all the people who loved John Travolta at the time and everybody on the earth, girls, were worshiping him. <laughs> and anything that he was in, they would go and see. And so, you know, like thousands of people went to see this movie, like, oh, Travolta's in it. And it was like, where the hell is he? You're like an hour into the movie, and where's Travolta? And then, like, he walks by at one point, and you go, oh, I guess that was Travolta. And then he goes into a church, and he steals something and doesn't say anything. And he's wearing, like, a robe over his head and, and contact lenses with no eyes. Like, mm-hmm. how the hell? And then he melts at the end. It's like, oh. <laughs> That's that's Travolta, and but that was in the seventies. They would try to get your ass into a movie theater no matter what, you know. Even if it was mm-hmm. false advertising, they did not give a shit. They would say, "Yes, Travolta's in The Devil's Reign. He's the lead, <laughs> starring starring John Travolta as he's the only person in the movie." That's it. It's a one man show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, you know, when I interviewed PJ Souls. Um, uh, one time, uh, you know, as as we did together at Flashback, mm-hmm. which we will be doing. And I have a feeling, Esmeralda, that our guests are going to be the Manson brothers. I think they're going to be. Mm. <laughs> those lunatics are going to be our guests that day. I think. I don't know yet. It's not confirmed. 
But but okay. you know PJ PJ Souls is in Carrie. And um, so she's got Travolta stories because she worked with him, you know, in Carrie. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and tells great stories about how how funny he was and how cool he was. And, you know, and uh, this was before, you know, uh, Saturday Night Fever. And, and it was right around the time that uh, he became popular on um, uh, as Barbarino on Welcome Back, Hotter. Mm-hmm. And she's got wonderful stories, really only good things to say about Travolta. And and so I was telling her, I'm like, well, yeah, did you see The Devil's Reign? And PJ Soul's like, no, I've never seen it. I'm like, what? You've never seen The Devil's Reign? <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to see The Devil's Reign. First of all, it's a horror movie, uh, and you've got to see it. And I said, Travolta's in it. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's pre-Carrie. She's like, it's pre-Carrie? She had no idea. So I tell her to watch it, and she t- she texts me back and says, "Nick, he's barely in there. What the hell is this movie?" Like she had- <laughs> I had to watch all of it after the four right. minutes. <laughs> I, I, and I, you know, I told her, I said, "Well, Ernest Borgnine's Just waiting a star for and- him to re re yeah. uh, constitute." <laughs> right after the melting, you know, he's just a blob. At the end of the movie, he literally is like, he's like a puddle at the end of the movie. And like Shatner's in it, you know, like William Shatner. So it's, I mean, it's a it's a hilarious. But if I remember Tom Skerritt. I think is in it, if I remember, Sven Gulli's shown it. It's a legendary, you know, mm-hmm. cl- piece of crap. But PJ had never seen it. I'm like, how have you not seen The Devil's Reign? Um, but anyway, she saw it and she was mad at me after I told her to see it because she's like, he's not in it. He's barely in it. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you feel like those people who got suckered into seeing it back in the 70s when they thought he was the big star. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like you got to see uh, 200 cigarettes because Paul Rudd's the star. Who's the star of that movie? Do we remember who the what the um, is it I believe Kate it is Hudson, an ensemble right? cast. Yeah. So it kind of no, there's no really not one you know like right Cause, star because that was 99. So that's post Clueless for Paul Rudd. So he's already yeah, kind of a, and it's you know a, it's that kind of like. Pulp Fiction, right thing where and, it's and all I'm, these little stories. You're connecting. right, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like Miramax. I think Miramax released it, and that was the whole they did the Quentin Tarantino movies and all that stuff. And it was yeah, 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 yeah. Now I'm starting to get the feel of it back again. Boy, the late '90s, they were something, weren't they? Hmm. <laughs> I love the fact that now '90s movies are period films, like this. The new. Uh, I mean, I know, it's... man. It's enough time. <laughs> it is enough time. I know it's just weird. The new Transformers movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a period movie. It takes place in 1994, and I'm always, I'm like, oh wow. I'm like, man, shit. I guess that makes sense because that was like 30 years ago. You know, like that was almost 30 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And that just makes me feel really old. I'm watching this movie, and like, and I'm in a theater filled with people who weren't alive. Or were very make babies, and right. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, man, period movies in the in the 90s. I guess I have to like you know settle into the fact that i'm old enough that movies where i were when i was pushing 30 are now period movies right (laughs) so yeah the new the new transformers movie is a period film that takes place way back in the mid 90s yeah all right so i don't know all right well we got a, a ton more of these here that we can get to uh the next time uh the next time we uh, speak but but how how far are you into homicide how uh are you, you... um we're not we're not too far we're still i think we uh we're still on the first season oh man i mean yeah. there's lots of episodes oh, so. They're so and they're all long you know they're, yeah they're an hour they're long episodes so yeah. yeah no that's that's a binge that's a binge that's gonna last a while yeah 
But you know what? It's a good binge. You know what I mean? It's like it's not shit. It's like really good. Yeah. And then the because it is DVDs and it's pre like, you know, just all the little features and things. There's not a lot of features on it. Yeah. Um, I enjoy having closed captioning on and it does not have subtitles that you can turn on. Oh, it doesn't. Um, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay. It's very simple. Like when you when you put in the menu, it's like very. It's, a, simple. it's like it's it's like it's like watching the new Transformers movie. It's like going back to nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> I am I am transformed. Transformed. Like you are literally into... you are literally in two hundred cigarettes when you're watching it. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> David Johansson shows up as your bartender while you're watching the movie. That's or while you're watching Homicide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, um, ha- uh, listen, uh, uh, we'll have a great time and doing this. Michael Bolton. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know. We won't drink the water. That's the thing that we won't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we will actually enjoy it. Get the car out of my face! We will enjoy that. Except Jack Black. He's not going to. Except gonna... Jack Black. I don't understand. Why would anybody refuse Mexican corn? I don't even know. Yeah. That's just the hardest thing to, to believe. So, anyway. All right. Well, have a we'll have a lovely weekend in Mexico, and we'll uh, be oh, back. Oh yeah, we'll be back on uh, for Tuesday. Uh, Dan Feinberg returns after uh, a couple of weeks off. We're actually we'll still be in Mexico. We'll still we be in Mexico. Follow him, you know. We'll, yeah, He's we'll got let a him show know. on the twelfth, so you know. <laughs> okay, we'll still... we might as well just stay. <laughs> so we'll be on the road following Michael Bolton. Uh, right. Dan, Fein- Dan Feinberg yeah. will join us in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. Dan will like corn. Dan would eat corn if we gave him Mexican corn. Oh, of corn. course. Of course, he yeah. Would. Uh, and if you want to be a part of the podcast, voicemail 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com with your comments, your thoughts, your questions, your megaphone requests. Sales at radiomisfits.com if you want to buy ads. And uh, check out our 24-hour streaming service, radiomisfits.live, 24-7. Make sure you check that out. Rate and review us on every platform. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and Ed and uh, Esmeralda. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, talk, and talk to you guys uh, next time on the Nick D Podcast. 